At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics. I'm Brandon Thurston, joined with Jesse Collings, and a special guest today that we have, stock analyst, media analyst from Lightshed, and a partner at Lightshed, and I think he is a uh, a major social media influencer in the wrestling space. Uh, after <laughs> I don't, the, I don't the, think the photo, so. <laughs> the photo of, of Paul Levesque on the ramp last week Monday. We we are very happy to have Brandon Ross with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, um, it's fans it's, of both of you as well. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, I, I made Jesse listen to some Light Shed podcasts in, in preparation for today, so he's, he should be well prepared. <laughs> forced, forced me to know. So you know um, my so. weaknesses then. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but just for for the people at home who maybe aren't familiar with your work, Brandon, can you just kind of describe briefly the kind of what you do at Light Shed and kind of sure. um, what your kind of position is? Okay, so there's two businesses under the light shed umbrella one of them is an equity research business which is essentially picking stocks for institutional investors or helping them to come to the conclusions on their own investments and institutional investors could be anyone from hedge funds to mutual funds to private equity shops to other vcs and the reason that i use other is because we also have um, a venture capitalist, uh, venture capital fund under our umbrella that invests in smaller companies. They're in the seed A and some um, B round uh, all across the tech, media, and telco space. And personally, I specialize in a whole bunch of things under the TMT umbrella. Um, one of them is live events. Another is sports, which I think sinks very well into what you guys are really interested in. I do things like video games, uh, a whole bunch of digital media stuff. And then I work very closely with my two partners that cover other areas of the ecosystem. And I'm pretty dialed in. Um, on all that stuff too, including large cap media, traditional media, you know, digital media, um, a little bit of telco stuff. But while Pisic, my partner, is the one who's really um, much more focused on that area. Yeah. 
and kind of the reason you're on this show and the reason I think maybe some of our listeners would have heard of you before is because you're pretty active in talking about wrestling and WWE. And obviously that fits perfectly into kind of the portfolio described as sports, live entertainment, all of, you know, media rights, all of that stuff kind of coming together yeah. for, for, for WWE. And in fact, I, uh, it's funny when um, the news broke about Vince McMahon a few weeks ago, um, I think it was a week from last Friday, the news came out that he had stepped down as CEO and of um, a chair of board of the directors. And when that first happened, I was like, well, this doesn't mean he's going to give up creative. He may be just stepping away from the position that he already kind of temporarily stepped down from. But then I saw your tweet, which is like Vince McMahon is no longer part of creative. And I was like, oh, well, it's it's legit. If Brandon is saying that, then <laughs> Well, that was the game. That was the game changer, right? The fact yeah. that he was stepping away, not just from management, but over that tight creative control that he's had over the business since the beginning of time. And I know you guys. I read you know, very closely what you guys have said about that. And um, yeah, the light bulb really went off and compelled me to tweet when I found out um, that that was going to change. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of optimism. I would say from at least you know the, the the audiences that we interact with a lot there's there are people going through raw and going through uh, SummerSlam, which are the two shows that were really i know smackdown was on friday but especially SummerSlam and raw were especially under the supervision of paul levesque as head of creative and people are just going through it with a fine-tooth comb to see if there's any any differences that they can detect and it and i have watched both SummerSlam and and raw last night because we're recording here on tuesday and they did feel somewhat different to me i feel like paul is probably incentivized to not change things too much too quickly and get people worried that things are going to be different um but they do feel somewhat different so far what were some of the differences that you picked up as even as a fan forget about as the person who runs wrestlenomics well well, definitely on SummerSlam they brought out uh after the becky lynch and bianca belair match they brought out bailey who was returning but they also brought out Io Shirai, who is now renamed Io Sky, and brought back Dakota Kai, who last we knew her contract had expired. It appeared that you know Vince didn't have a lot of interest in using Io Shirai or Dakota Kai, but that's those are two wrestlers that that Triple H probably thinks highly of, and they wouldn't have been there if not for the for the change in creative. That's that's one thing. Um, any anything else come to mind for you, Jesse? I think that there was more on Raw than there was on SummerSlam. I think the women coming out, obviously like Dakota Kai and Io Shirai being NXT people kind of translates to being Paul Levesque's people. Of course. And yeah. so Chomp, to me, that getting kind of a felt, big push last night too. Well, yeah, well on SummerSlam, like to me the women coming out almost felt kind of lazy because it was they didn't really have any real creative plans for them. They just kinda of came out and stared at people. They didn't get physical or anything. And it, it kind of felt like okay, we need to send a symbolic message that Triple H is in charge, and so this is what we're going to do, which is actually important because I didn't feel like that took place on Raw last, the previous Monday, the Madison Square Garden Raw. I felt like that was basically business as usual when a lot of people were tuning in and looking for that kind of symbolic change. I think that change over the long term is going to be gradual. right? Too fast for that Raw. I mean... But you could have done... You could have done something. I was I was of the belief that you should – I don't care. Like if you, you don't want to do anything because you've got SummerSlam coming up, I was saying there are going to be way more people tuning in looking for something different tonight. It's way more critical for your business to show them that something is different than it is to like commit to storylines that you already had. I mean it's a company that rips up storylines all the time anyway. So 
would it really matter if you maybe changed a, a moved a title around or something like that? Um, but on Raw, you could tell there was a little more focus. They did the more focus on the mid card. There was more focus on the women's uh, division. There was more focus on uh, like they did the whole video package for the United States Championship. Yeah, and I think I thought that rehabil- was remarkable. Yeah, rehabilitating the mid card titles, the United States Championship and the Intercontinental Championship, I think are something that knowing what we know about Paul Levesque is probably something that he would be high on. And Vince McMahon obviously kind of had disregard for it. So I think that was kind of a sign. And th- they there were no, and I, and I was asking in the, in the one group chat that we were a part of, there were no backstage skits where there, they don't acknowledge the camera. Everything that happened backstage was an interview with an announcer and a wrestler, which is not normal for, for W programming. So, so starting, starting with some incremental change, but yeah, I, I would say so, and I, and I expect that. I expect that just politically, and maybe for the financial community too. He probably it's in his interest to not change too much too quickly, or to not make any tense relationships more tense, or to not create headlines that say, "Oh my God, WWE is totally different than it was before," and create any, any sort of nervousness or uncertainty. But also doing some things to signal, "Hey, things are going to change here." I think from the financial community perspective, honestly the analysts and investors don't really care that much about the creative um, mostly because they're not really fans that are going to notice those changes in creative like you guys would. I think it's much more about kind of these big picture existential questions surrounding WWE. That's really got the eyes um, of investors. Yeah. And the, the creative aspect is something that I always that's why I'm so interested in no it because no one's focused on it. Yeah, and I always weigh like, am I am I overemphasizing that? And you'll get people on the opposite end to say the creative doesn't matter, and all the money's guaranteed, and TV rights fees are going to escalate over time. So what is it? What does that's it matter? Not, that's not true because the creative ultimately drives the audience. And yeah. if you look at the history of the media business, with audience comes dollars, and that's it. So. So the the reason people have been focused on it, even if they couldn't analyze necessarily the quality of the content, is because they're sitting and reading what real wrestling fans have to say. And they've been looking at these ratings that have been really sagging, compounding downward since the last um, Raw and SmackDown licensing deals were done. And they're like, why the fuck is this happening? I understand that there's declines in the multi-channel video universe, but this seems worse than it should be, especially when you look at sports and live entertainment. And there are much more modest declines relative to the larger uh, multi-channel bundle. Yeah, I have a, I have kind of a, a question, Brandon. And I, sure. I don't know if you can answer this, but I've thought about it a lot. When you talk about kind of the year-over-year decline in cable homes, right, and you can look at a number and say, well, the raw viewership is down X amount this year from last year, but, you know, 7% of homes have – there's or cable subscriptions are down 7%. So obviously raw is going to be down if less people have it in homes. But at the same time, one of the reasons that WWE is getting these very lucrative television deals is because these cable companies are banking on – their product being appealing enough to people that they will continue to pay for cable because 
they want to watch Monday Night Raw. People who are really into wrestling are much more likely to be cable subscribers because that is the primary method for watching. Or sports, sports in general. If you want right. to, if you want to group WWE, yeah, you can sports. you can expand it to, to, exactly. to any major any any major investment live that a cable company yeah, is live making. event. So, is there pressure on WWE to? I guess you can't to me it's like you can't really use the year over year decline as like a excuse or an explanation for it because ultimately WWE's being paid all this money to make sure that there isn't a decline because the uh, the concept that their event is 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 DVR proof and that it's it's a live event that you need to pay to watch and it's what's going to keep cable television afloat. Do you think there's extra pressure on WWE or the NFL or the NBA to kind of deliver ratings despite the fact that the trend is is, is headed downwards no absolutely and i think that if you look at the businesses the one business with the most control over the content is the one that's scripted right so that's kind of what makes wwe unique is the power of the writers whereas in every other quote sport um Everything is kind of yeah, look. You can change the rules. Like Major League Baseball has had to, um, you know, start tweaking the rules because of lack of interest in the game. But you can't control what the drama looks like on the other side. In WWE, you can by writing the creative, and so that's why I think it's you know a little more pressure in that regard on uh, on the wrestling business. And Stephanie McMahon would agree in the sense that there was a variety article from it was a variety article, Brandon, from a few months ago where Stephanie McMahon said that we're like sports, but better because we can script the Hail Mary. Which Brandon pass. are you talking to? Yeah. Um, either one, if you guys remember, I'm but kidding. I'm pretty sure it was, I think it was a variety article, but she said we can script the, did, the did Hail Mary. Did you write an article about that? I think that's. I did write an article. Ad week, it. maybe. Yeah, I forget. I Maybe it wasn't it. variety, but it was the concept was that WWE is like sports, but they have that control element um, in the way that like sports, like the, the the NBA cannot decide which team wins the game. Some people like to think that they do, but the NBA ultimately cannot. <laughs> this, the NBA can't decide we're going to put these two teams in the NBA finals or we're going to make sure that this player and, and, and that kind of thing. But WWE, of course, can't. the rub the rub goes both ways because the ultimate element of surprise is the fact that it's not scripted right exactly yeah the randomness I, I, of sport is what makes yeah. it intriguing yeah and, and i always feel like wrestling in in business sort of manifests itself in a way that it, it resembles sports and also in some other ways it resembles scripted entertainment or sort of lands in between whether that's in the dvr viewership by percentage you probably have a very small percentage of, of people watching shoot sports, if you will, uh, on DVR. But in wrestling, it could be 10%, 20%, something like that. Uh, whereas in scripted, it's probably like 50% or something like that. Um, yeah, and I, th- and I think there's other ways too. But um, yeah, so just a couple weeks ago, so two Mondays ago, we woke up and found the 8K, 8K for, for Vince McMahon uh, resigning from WB. And uh, I didn't see this coming, but that he – those – payments that he made for related to the NDAs the Wall Street Journal has reported about, those expenses apparently need to be counted as company expenses. Yeah. And W was I, I, yeah. right. I, I was figuring W was gonna report this coming Thursday, which would be August fourth. They're saying maybe they'll report next Tuesday, August I think that's the ninth. Yeah. Um so they I have think- to go back. Yeah. Yeah they, so they have to go back and restate prior financials and take a charge. Now, that is 
it's not something that investors are really caring about because it's a non-cash charge. It's kind of an antiquated rule whereby if the majority voting owner puts up money on behalf of the company, even if it's not a company expense, then that has to flow through the P&L and be counted as additional paid in capital into the business. There's a lot of reasons why that was that rule came about, I think, in the early 80s that had more to do with companies propping up their financials with um, with the owner or the possibility of the owner, you know, adding cash in, buying things to make the financials look better and it becoming sort of a circular situation. So this restatement is much more of a technicality than anything else, which is why you really didn't see much reaction from the financial community about it. Right. And in whatever negative reaction there would be is going to be outweighed by the excitement around the notion that W might sell. Yes. Um, I mean, so that, that potential sale has been the number one kind of focus of investors really since the allegations against Vince came out um, at, at the very beginning. There's always been this idea that, yeah, look, WWE is a pretty small company. There are a ton of larger uh, entities that are looking for, um, for content just to, to keep it basic and especially live content. And so they'd be a very natural acquisition target for a number of companies. The big question on everyone's mind is, does WWE want to sell or not? And if you dial back or, or peel back on that question, it comes down to, does the McMahon family want to sell or not? Yeah. And, and before we get further in that, so yeah. Business Insider has, has a, basically a listicle out today. I think this is today. I did not eight, see this listicle. Listing eight companies that uh, might be interested in buying WWE. It's Comcast. Why don't, we, why don't you read them off? Yeah, I'm yeah. curious. Comcast, Disney, okay. Amazon, Netflix, okay. Apple. Uh, Fox, Warner Brothers Discovery, Paramount. Okay. So all streamers. Well, you're missing probably the company. We're, we're missing I your, your pick. Yeah. Is, yeah, is, is the one that may want this business the most and may, may make the absolute most sense if, you know, financially the deal could be constructed, which is Endeavor. So have a lot of respect for Business Insider. We're subscribers, but um, that it, I think that there's uh, they should have contacted me before they wrote that listicle. <laughs> well, it's, it seems like they just they just rattled off anyone that had a prominent streaming yeah. service, <laughs> right? Because that, yeah. that's the implication was that like okay, why would Apple want to buy WWE? What would they what would the purpose of that be? And it'd be like, well, they could take their content and put it on Apple TV, and we know that Apple's willing to make that big investments. In and they're they, you know they've started getting into live sports and therefore that's correct yeah that's what's going to be and I, I think that's right it was basically every major streamer might want to buy WWE which there's some logic to it but again seems unlikely. No, there, there's absolutely logic I think that the prevailing wisdom is if a streamer did buy it or a kind of video based media company that it 
Comcast would be the most likely buyer because of the existing relationship, not just on Raw and previously before the Fox deal on SmackDown, but across a lot of shoulder content, which you've seen on some of their other networks. Mm-hmm. And the Peacock deal, too. Most, most especially Bravo. And then, of course, the Peacock deal, which is probably the deal that's worked out the best for Comcast slash NBCU. And I wanted like to ask about some of these. Sorry, Jesse. Uh, awesome. Some some of these. Do, do <laughs> Sounds like our to, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, Continue do any, to talk over each other. I feel at home. <laughs> do, do any of these stand out as as not making much sense at all to you? Like Apple sticks out to me as I can't see the Apple brand wanting to buy a pro wrestling brand company. is. Yeah. So I think you, you hit on something. Um, I, I think the leadership of a lot of these companies and vis-a-vis apple that would probably be in the eddie q department um it it has to be something that they want to take on that they feel is additive especially given the fact that they have an unlimited balance sheet and can make whatever decision around content that they want to make and i think apple you know starting to actually quote run the league and be responsible for all the logistics when this isn't core to their business as much as they've you know done a a bunch of amazing scripted content also this idea that um apple has sort of approached this as being the quote hbo of the streaming world even though there is an hbo they're adding max and kind of going the other way but But, this higher brow prestige programming as you just put it um, I don't know that necessarily um, WWE programming fits with that, although who knows, right? Yeah. They're definitely experimenting. But I think this, given the size of this, this would be more of an experiment that would come with the responsibility of more than an experiment, if you follow. Yeah. In, in, in the mind of a lot of traumatized wrestling fans that we interact <laughs> with, we have Memories of, yes, we have memories of, of WCW being owned by Turner and yep. the the cycle of executives that went in and out of the leadership of that company. And ultimately that, that company stopped existing in 2001 for a number of reasons. Um, I guess that that would be a fear, at least among, you know, people who talk wrestling, that if a, a big parent company ended up having to manage WWE, are they going to know how to, how to manage this weird business and know who to, who to, who to trust to put in charge um, maybe maybe some McMahon family coming over to, for the beginning of that might help, but eventually maybe you know, Paul and Stephanie aren't leading this company someday. That would be a big concern, at least in wrestling circles. Uh, no, I think that's a brilliant observation. And it's not just Paul and Steph and the absolute top of the leadership. If you look at the people who have been in production, um, who are sitting in the trucks, you know, week in and week out, they've been together for 20 something years. So you need Kevin Dunn has been in that company since I mean, Kevin Dunn is the absolute best example of what you just said, right? Where I mean, it is to pull off a scripted live show multiple times a week, in addition to all of the quote pay per views, is not an easy thing. And there's sort of a tight team and tight, you know, you know, friendships or you know 
frenemy situations at times that sit around that, but it all kind of works. And you have somebody who's a media executive that doesn't necessarily know the business that well come in and be like, hey, I think we should cut costs here. And then you start cutting the wrong people, you're in deep trouble. So as much as there has been complaints around the the McMahon kind of dynasty that's you know ruled over this asset there are a ton of very positive things um including continuity that has come out of it yeah so was, why why endeavor why do you think endeavor is the best fit well i think this actually syncs with the conversation we were just having so if you look at the ufc acquisition and how that was handled they allowed Dana and UFC to kind of run as their own separate entity while leveraging all the infrastructure of Endeavor to help make them better and unlock revenue opportunities. I think a really good example of that is on the sponsorship side. And we all know that WWE has really been under monetized from a sponsorship perspective for a long time. And also in it, if you look at like where where does the profitability of this business come from, it's on those kind of rights deals. And Nick is amazing at that. We all know, right? You his history at CAA and the involvement that he's had in the past on this. Um, but <laughs> Ari Emanuel is certainly no slouch. And the idea of teaming those two up, you basically have a dream team kind of approaching um, all these negotiations as well. And, and, and so for people to know, so Nick Khan came from CAA, which is a big talent agency. Endeavor is, an, is a talent agency. That's led correct. By, led by Ari Emanuel. Like is, or would, yes, would sorry, Endeavor, I forget the audience. Sometimes I just that's like. That's <laughs> so would, would Endeavor and CAA be, be like business competitors? Is there a relationship? They, are, you know? they are business competitors. But is, is there um, a relationship that you know between Nick and, and Ari Emanuel already? Um, there is a relationship between um nick and endeavor management yes that goes way back um to the beginning of nick's career as an agent actually and, and caa is a private company because i've tried to look into this so yes. CAA is pr- probably too small to, to acquire wb um i don't think that's kind of like where they're looking right now endeavor obviously has public currency and part of the compensation for the deal would would be um stock and knowing what the stock is worth, um, having a public mark on it is kind of a generally a big deal. I don't think I mean, I don't think it's a stupid idea, especially as CAA has recently bulked up. Um, but you also don't get those synergies between UFC on the infrastructure side and WWE that you would get with the existing business sitting there. And frankly, other live entertainment businesses there. Whether it's, you know, they're the professional bull riders. I know that sounds small and insignificant, but, you know, there's, there's a web, really, of uh, live entertainment assets. Minor league baseball teams are adding other things. So there would be synergies and, and cost savings in just in the fact that you've already got UFC that, that they're investing in. So if you brought in WWE, there'd be a lot of overlap. Cross there. promotion opportunities also. Does, does Dana and, want want to, want to cross promote with with uh, WWE, I, I, you know fake? Wrestling? I mean, like we know the history, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. you know, perhaps it's a new era. And if you know Ari Emanuel well, he is the, 
he's an amazing deal maker and amazing at, at bringing people together um, in surprising ways. So potentially, if anyone could unlock that, um, it would be him. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. We've talked about before like MPCU is a logical potential buyer for WWE, yep. but raise the same question that, that you raise is what would the, what in their portfolio is similar to running a company like WWE? It'd be kind of uncharted territory for a lot of these prospective buyers to run a professional wrestling company that produces live events, you know, three, yeah. four, sometimes four times a week in different cities around the country. And obviously Endeavor, the log- logic being obviously that they have already, they run a somewhat similar kind of company in the sense of UFC. Are there other companies that maybe we're not thinking about that could emerge the way Endeavor emerged as a UFC purchase, you know, UFC buyer? I, I think um, Brandon T, the other Brandon, um, had a good point about CIA. And I think that could be considered kind of a dark horse, if you will, a low probability dark horse. But remember about all these companies like NBCU. I mean, they are used to putting on live shows. Uh, you're talking about, you know, NFL in the case of NBCU, um, plenty of college sports, ESPN, obviously. Um, it's the worldwide leader in sports. Um, <laughs> so it, they, they have a lot going on there. I just don't know vis-a-vis ESPN owned by the parent Disney, whether this is an asset that they see as a great fit for their parent company or not. I mean, a lot of things have actually changed at Disney in this kind of, um, in this new era, um, since Bob Iger, uh, left the company and things like sports betting that you'd never think they'd be involved with. Um, they are so. And, and Fox is going to sit there as a, a dark horse. Fox is interesting. Fox uh, has SmackDown. They're paying $205 million a year for it. Um, is, are they a realistic buyer, you think, though? I think the, the whole Fox thing is interesting because the prevailing wisdom is the Murdochs as Rupert Murdoch, who's kind of the patriarch to that family, has, I think, entered his 90s um, and may or may not be thinking about, you know, undoing um, more of the sort of Fox empire as he did in the sale to Disney of a lot of their assets, maybe a seller um, or a continued seller from here. He's 91. I didn't realize that. Yeah. It's nuts. Right. And he's been teasing, he's been teasing selling and considering 
selling his company for a very long time. He yeah, sold, well, he sold most of it, right? <laughs> yeah, the 20th Century Fox was sold and, out. But. And the thing he's most interested in, you know, kind of going forward, continues to be the new side of the business, which is, you know, mostly represented outside of Fox News in News Corp. So there is the idea that he could take Fox News, put it together with the News Corp assets, continue to let Lachlan, his son, run that and have political influence while getting rid of the rest of the business. News Corp is Wall Street Journal, Market Watch. What else? Dow Obviously, Jones. Uh, like Barron's, um, a whole bunch of international assets, the New York Post. Yes, of course. Um, so there's there's a bunch in there. Um, but the other way they could go with it is to take their current Fox asset and try and rebulk it up with something else. And if they were to do that, then WWE is a digestible enough asset for them to do that. After they theoretically merge with somebody else. After who merges? Fox. Fox. No, no. Even sort of standalone Fox okay. could, could probably do a deal there. I mean, that is going to be heavily influenced by probably what Eric Shanks um, think, who kind of runs Fox Sports, what he thinks of it and how he's felt about the performance thus far of SmackDown. And... Is, is SmackDown going to stay on Fox in uh, what would it be I don't late know. 2024? Um, I, don't, I, get... I honestly don't know at this yeah. point. Um, I think it probably makes sense for Fox to renew that deal because there's a, I'm going to use the same word twice here, a ton of tonnage um, that comes um, from it. You're you know, getting two hours a week on Friday nights with you know fairly high overall viewership um and that's probably not something that they really want to mess with have they been disappointed overall with the ratings my belief is that they thought they were going to be higher than they turned out to be but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go and cut bait with something that's kind of a a a stalwart of their programming and b um programming who they've analyzed crosses over well with a bunch of the other programming um throughout the fox assets yeah the, the argument for doing something like keeping SmackDown on fox in in my view has always been when you do the math it, it comes out to about four million dollars per week for smackdown and that's two hours of content and it's new content 52 weeks a year predictable generally compare that to like you know what, what would you replace it with? What would you replace SmackDown with? I guess something like two one-hour programs. And are they going to cost a, a, a total of $4 million or less? Probably not. So it, it's, it, you have it's to just, risk weight these things also because you pretty – I mean, look, yes, the programming has been slightly you know disappointing relative to what expectations are. But you know within a band kind of what audience – who and how much it's going to draw as opposed to taking on something brand new or scripting stuff, licensing, uh, you know, some, someone else's idea as somewhere else, then you have to see if it works and, you know, how long is it going to work for? And it's a, obviously a much bigger headache. When, when you look at ratings, like that's a big part of what I do. I got to do it. As soon as we're done with this call, it's going to be four o'clock. Yeah. Nielsen's going to come out. And <laughs> we've, especially since AEW's come around, 
it's been emphasized that you got, got to look at the demo, got to look at 18 to 49. Um, mm-hmm. Throughout the rest of the media, though, outside of wrestling circles, I see mostly just viewership being focused on. Like, do you do, do you look at one or the other or, or care? Or used to, I mean, used to be 18 to 49 only because that was like the, quote, demo for mm-hmm. advertising. Um, obviously, that is still kind of the area where, you know, conventionally – the most dollars are being spent. That's what's driving the ad rates. Yeah, but if you look at the overall business, and yes, mostly ish driving the ad business at this point. But if you kind of look at the overall viewership of television, the average age is crept above that forty nine number. Yeah. So to the median el- age of to eliminate all those people. Yeah. So to eliminate all those people, you know, you kind of got a problem. But this gets to a big issue for WWE, which is how do they start to relate to younger audiences in the longer form and pull them into their longer form programming. And by longer form, I mean not just social clips that don't monetize because the bread and butter of monetization at WWE is what? It's these licensing deals and another licensing deal, which is the pay-per-views. I've speculated that maybe we'll see in the next round of U.S. TV rights, maybe something like, you know, a certain number of Raw episodes end up on Peacock Live or something like that, rather than this, what we have now, where the only way to watch Raw or SmackDown Live is through a cable or satellite system. Um, is that something think, that, that, that sounds real? Yeah, I think there's at least the flexibility to do that is going to be written into the contracts such that as this shift occurs in the multi-channel world they had there is the optionality to to move that audience you know purely to streaming now if you look at the performance of peacock there's only 13 million people um who are subscribing to peacock and so, peacock was flat in the most recent quarter that's right which out. is absolutely horrible given what they're spending sorry to our friends over at NBCU, but it's just not great um, i was gonna then, ask you got to, once I just think from a WWE ownership perspective, do you want to limit your overall audience size to, you know, the pool to just those 13 million? And the answer is probably no, because you want to bring new viewers on and more casual viewers into the programming. So you're going to need flexibility. If anything, I think that maybe... NBC itself, the broadcast network, also gets more play in the next deal there, um, where even if there is cord cutting, you know, you still have antennas and other things that you and I probably don't think about much. Sorry to cut you off. I, I use my no, that's right. I was just going to ask you if mm-hmm. we, about Peacock's flat growth in the last quarter. Does that help WWE? Is that a positive for WWE in the sense, or is it a negative for WWE in the sense that? Peacock is looking at what happens. Like, all right, well, our content we have wasn't able to continue any upward growth in quarter two. But at the same time, the content that they do have that is performing well, which it seems like WWE is one of their better performing pieces of content. Where would they that, be without WWE? Correct. Is that strengthen that there? But if you're WWE, you have to turn around and be like, where would I be if we had more than thir- a th- bucket of 13 million um, viewers to be exposed mm-hmm. to. And, and I know Brandon is a believer in this, and I think there's a lot of value to to this thought, which is that 
WWE's ratings, which have been improved over the last several months and the um, live attendance, there's been some positive movement on that end. Is part of that related to these WWE premium live events uh, being moved onto Peacock? where more putting them in front of a way bigger audience than they were on before we had 1.1 million reach and now it's like so that's better right so you're going you're going from the you have to only be a wrestling fan to subscribe to these pay-per-views to hey if you have it for peacock for epl or for some scripted programming or whatever reason you might kind of stumble across this content and like it And that could lead to positive outcomes, which is why it's in their best interest to have that bucket of viewers be as big as possible. Yeah. And if we go back to the the Fox deal, the original Fox Smackdown deal, one of the reasons that people were really bullish on the stock price at that point in time was the belief that Smackdown being on Fox was going to be this tremendous opportunity for WWE to expose its product to way more people because it's going to be on network television that more people are naturally going to come across. And I, I don't know if that really did that really happened. I feel like, you know, we didn't see a, a subsequent rise in, in interest in raw. We didn't see a subsequent rise in interest in live attendance or, or, or WWE network subscribers. So it didn't Smackdown really- did become the most watched of their shows, but, but I agree with you, but only right. by what three or 400,000 viewers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it, it, the thing to, it, you're also black boxing everything, which is like, if you only look at, um, like that one thing that was happening at the company, then, you know, it, it didn't translate to better everything else, but perhaps there were, you know, other things going on at the company, creative issues, things we've talked about earlier in this conversation that were negatively influencing all of those things as well. Yeah. Um, Hulu writes, next day rights are coming up soon. Uh, expiring at the end of the year, I believe. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, I, I'm guessing it's not going to be renewed by Hulu. I think. I don't know. Where's Hulu going to be? Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, now you've touched on another, you know, big topic in the media industry, which is, which is what does Disney want to do with that asset as they move more general entertainment onto Disney Plus? All the GE stuff or, or non kind of Disney brand stuff was supposed to just go on Hulu. So do they want to perhaps get rid of Hulu? And if they did, who's the most likely buyer? NBCU. So that kind of brings this whole discussion full circle. Right. We could see it going to Peacock. I could see Netflix bidding on it. I could see Amazon Prime. I think Um, Netflix is probably, mm, well, maybe. But next day is not, you know, kind of like what they're thinking in terms of content strategy right now. There there was a story that Netflix had kind of ceased kind of the plans, at least at the time, to to produce the um, the Bill Simmons led Vince McMahon documentary. I don't know if it was, doc- was a documentary series or just one. It's going to be a four part documentary, I believe. Yeah, so it was going to be kind of like a little mini series on it. And in the wake of the NDAs and, and the the kind of um, sexual act scandal that ended up happening, Netflix kind of, I, I guess, said that they were going to. See, I don't know if it's going to cease production or they're no longer. Yeah, they, did. They, took, they took a big loss on it. Yeah. Right. Do you think that would s- potentially scare Netflix off of 
purchasing WWE. It would seem I know Vince McMahon, I guess, officially isn't associated yeah, with the, the company. Vince anymore, isn't but. there anymore. My guess is that that documentary, as produced, was missing a big part of the story. Also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so it's that if you, <laughs> it would have been a inaccurate picture of the man. Right. Without, I don't think it's any know, great loss to 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 <laughs> to uh, people seeking out the truth anywhere. But I did find it interesting that one of their you know the people that you know Nick Khan brings it up or, or people bring it up in these media calls and these um, investor calls that say like you know Netflix you know potential investor in in WWE and if that kind of potential bidder of Netflix on, on balking content. at being associated with WWE basically um, does that take a, a big player off? I think the now that Vince rights. I think now that Vince is is you know not in the foreground anymore. That's. Um, that, that probably loosens that up. The question is, you know, if you talk to Reed Hastings about his sports rights strategy, the and Netflix I know, CEO. yeah, Net, Netflix CEO, sorry. I know that um, they bid modestly for Formula One rights. They've always been of the mindset that we would only really get involved in sports or this type of live entertainment if we owned the asset. And could control everything going in, you know that perhaps gets you to hey maybe Netflix would be a bidder for WWE if it came for sale, but probably a less likely bidder for um, licensing rights. Right. Um, Warner Brothers Discovery has their earnings call on Thursday, and uh, they're, they're of course the, the the parent company of TNT and TBS where AEW uh, airs. So. There's the, the the feeling that I've gotten from reading and, and, and listening into Warner Brothers Discovery is that they're practicing cost discipline and they're they're cutting a lot of costs. There's obviously been a lot of management change, um, and that's the one negative against an argument that AEW is going to get this huge increase in TV rights fees. Is that well, I don't I don't know. I don't know how much Warner Brothers Discovery really wants to spend. Um, but if you compare ratings between AEW and WWE, uh, yes, AEW is below WWE, but but pretty close. And there's a huge gap in the amount of money that's being that's paid, right. pay, being paid forty four million dollars a year. Look, they're going to, and none of us really know exactly exactly what the team at Warner Brothers Discovery, led by David Zasloff, is thinking in terms of their overall content strategy. We're going following their earnings. I believe they're giving. Um, they're giving some more insight into that through kind of an analyst day situation. So we'll know a little more, but what do, role does live and sports, um, you know, play in their overall strategy? Where do they plan on putting, uh, that type of content in the future? How much do they want to spend on that content? How much do they want to spend on content in general and how much does their overall content mix need to change given the financial leverage, a.k.a. debt, that they have coming out of the merger? And, and Zaslav has never really managed domestic sports before, right? He has not. Nope. So, so this is kind, kind of unknown. Sport, like, I can't is, see them – yeah. I, I can't see them, like, letting the NBA go, but but it's it's an unknown as far as something that's – you know, not this huge sports property and a pretty new brand. It's it's, it's an unknown about how they're going to treat that to me. Yeah, we, we have no idea what Zaslav um, is really thinking, except for, I mean, look, we've spoken to him like the Lightshed team interviewed him for Lightshed Live. Um, so we have some 
you know, a little bit inside, but the world's also changed a lot over the past couple of months. Um, whether it's, you know, sort of the overall, you know, slowdown in subscriber growth across the industry for the streaming services, um, the way the economy's changed and the ad market itself has changed. And when you're a company that has a lot of debt that you have to pay down and interest to service, you have to be much more cognizant of all of these things. Um, than you would if you had an unlimited balance sheet like an Amazon or an Apple. And, and for AEW, like my feeling is, it, depending on how new creative leadership under Paul Levesque goes, and according to a, a report from Fightful that came out today, there's a lot of happiness among talent that, that Sean Ross Sapp has talked to. He, he, he said more than two dozen talents. Nobody was negative about it. Um, and they're, they're pretty optimistic about, for example, not wrestling the same wrestlers week after week. Um, so I could see a lot of wrestlers who didn't want to go or wanted to leave WWE being less enticed to go into AEW. So I, I feel like AEW has been this strong alternative to WWE since it began in 2019, and some of its advantage might be lessened now going forward. Yeah, that that sounds like a headwind, like a real yes. headwind for them. And um, it'll be interesting to kind of watch how the ratings, you know, golf between the two evolves over the next couple of weeks as Paul really puts his imprint on WWE or it doesn't. Um, and, you know, where how the flow of talent works going yeah. forward. And, and I, I do think that there's there's probably room in the in the space, even though there hasn't. I guess there's been impact wrestling, um, but there hasn't been two really big, strong brands of wrestling in the U.S. for nearly 20 years until the last couple of years. But I think it is one of those ways in which wrestling is kind of like sports and then also in a little bit in a little bit of a way kind of not in that there you don't have to have just one major football league or you don't have to have just one major wrestling league like you do have to have one major football league basketball league baseball league and so forth but um and anything else to to add here jesse if we i think uh brand's got a uh an earnings call coming up that i can get to i do yes get time to get into video game land with ea yes. reporting <laughs> right um i know they released some of their i think they released the madden trailer or they released some stuff today um yeah and there was a there was a deal um on the soccer the other football side with la liga as the sort of fifa relationship disintegrates into league by league relationships so you're gonna get there's stuff to hear about for sure they're gonna have the um you're not going to be able to play as Barcelona or Real Madrid anymore. No, you will. You, you will. They're they're just cutting individual deals with all the leagues instead of having an overarching deal with FIFA. So I, the game won't be called FIFA anymore, which is crazy because FIFA has existed as long as kind of, you know, video games have existed. Yeah. <laughs> well, not obviously not, but no, I think even I know that I played that on Super Nintendo or something. Yeah, yeah exactly, like it dates right? back to the early nineties. But they were used to. In FIFA, they used to, um, like, Juventus isn't Juventus in FIFA. It's, uh, I think it's Piemonte Calcio, because Juventus, the club, has its individual deal with, I want to say it's uh, not a pro evolution soccer, which is like FIFA's competitor that's more popular in Europe. And so I wonder if they're going forward, they're going to cut certain teams, they're going to cut certain leagues out of it. I think it's, uh, that's certainly possible. It's something to listen for tonight, I guess. Okay. Do you want anything you want to plug, Brandon? No. I mean, 
I don't know, my Twitter account. I don't know what I would plug. <laughs> follow follow at Brando Lightshed for, uh, yeah. for, for viral photos. For, for, I thought that photo was pretty good. Yeah, that was a great photo. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let you get to EA Sports, um, right. Electronic Arts. Um, thanks, thanks, Brandon, so much for joining us. And uh, oh, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Hopefully we do it again sometime. Maybe I'll have you guys on Lightshed Live next. Oh, we'll ooh, see how it goes. We'll do it. We'll have to talk All about right. It. All right, take, take care, care, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. Brandon. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.